Well, here's the deal. Uh, I, I come back. I bring my family back to Carbondale regularly uh, because I, I, my family is here. My, uh, you know, my parents, my sister, uh, my nieces, my aunts, uncles. The whole wild. The whole, the whole wild and Palmer. <laughs> that's my mother's side. The, everybody is here. And Are you so, related to Rory? Nope. Okay. I'm not. <laughs> Do you get that question from time no, to time? Never. No, okay, fair first, enough. For, never. first time for Rory. But I, I, I have a... You know, I have a. I mentioned to you before uh, we began that I, I have a little bit of a. a uh, well, first, I don't. I don't think there's anything wrong with being connected to your family. I, I have yeah. a really. I just. I, I grew up with a with close familial relationships, and so I love. I love the town, for that reason. And so, uh, as I came back through, um, visiting once again home, being away for. I moved away from uh, Carbondale in 2006, so being away for 15 years yeah. now. Um, some of the the nostalgia like i'm no longer viewing the town through those lenses and one mm -hmm. of the frustrating things that i see through carbondale is the number of homes that have fallen into disrepair and and a lot of them you can tell are rentals and so obviously there's a non-altruistic part of this where i just want to make money right that's yeah. that's my goal for renovating houses but the big a big part of it as well is like i could do that a lot of places that are closer that are not 1200 miles away yeah but I love Carbondale, and I think a big part of um, you know what makes Carbondale great or not so great, and you can see this on the Facebook, the WT of Carbondale Facebook page yeah. and, and in other places, are the quality of housing for people that are students and for non-students as well, and the way that the folks that are running the housing treat people and treat their properties, and they become an asset to them that is not a real thing. Yeah. And so when I drive down a street and I see a house falling in on itself, there's someone that owns that that's not taking care of it, that is making Carbondale, frankly, kind of look like shit. Yeah. And I want Carbondale to be what it was to me for, honestly, I've loved this town forever. So, you know, <laughs> up till this point, almost like thir the 38 years of my life before I started going, wait a minute. Yeah. So the, the a part of the drive of this, a part A is, I'd like to make some money and not be a math teacher until I'm 60, yeah. five. But uh, <laughs> the other part of that is, um, like, let's uh, invest in Carbondale so Carbondale can be for uh, my nieces and uh, the kids that I work with at Carbondale High School, the kids that Eric Berry works with at Carbondale High School, so yeah. they can love Carbondale as much as I do and have for so long and, and, and have a look back on it not as a dying town, but as a town – that people love enough to put money and time and effort into to make it as wonderful as I know that it is. I love how you've spoken all of that directly to the camera. I will throw out, usually we do like the news interview sure. format. So throwing that out there as we move forward into. Do you prefer then off camera focus? Yeah, yeah, to yeah. You? So we're, okay. we're just talking back and forth sure. here for episode 72 of the WTF Carbondale podcast, the sweatiest episode of the WTF Carbondale podcast yet, because I've just spent the past 45 minutes reconfiguring the studio for a special podcast, grabbing Jason Wild just before he wilds out of Carbondale one more time. Uh <laughs> I got I to gotta cut Nathan off real quick. Yeah, I, cut, I'll me talk, off, cut me off. I am going to talk to the camera now because this Do is it. not for Nathan. So <laughs> I texted Nathan to tell him I was here. And then, uh, and I was waiting outside and I was like, I finally was like, what the hell's going on? So I look, <laughs> I look inside the window and I see Nathan come out of a room shirtless, putting a shirt on. And I was like, what the hell's happening? So I, I actually immediately turned 
the other direction. He's like, I don't want to make him uncomfortable because I don't know what happens <laughs> what is going when on? no one's here and there are just cameras on a stage. <laughs> what? Nathan's only fans. I don't know. Uh, so, but then we get in here and I see that like, I'm really cool on stage. You've set me up in a wonderful place, Nathan, but up there, I imagine the heat is like gravitating toward your, and you, you have a massive light three feet away from your face. So <laughs> I'm now less comfortable about like what happened in this chair five minutes <laughs> before, before I sat in it. So, uh, so for everyone at home that wants to know how the sausage is made, Sometimes it's made shirtless. That's the, uh, <laughs> you didn't and know that I caught you shirtless. No, but no, I, did. I absolutely knew. I knew I was coming around that corner. Oh, okay, good, good. Uh, trying to be like, can I get this sweat off my shirt before the podcast? And the answer is clearly no. Again, for episode 72 of the WTF Carbondale podcast, where we talk to interesting people about their interesting lives, tied all back to this little old place we call home, Carbondale, Illinois, and somebody who has called Carbondale home for quite a bit of their life and loves it so much as we just heard Jason Wilde. Thanks, man. This is so like, I've got, I've got sounding board, like discussion to have with you on everything from yeah, man, the creative function to the reinvestment function. Like I just love that. That was kind of the lead off here. Right. And, and I, I don't know. So you've, again, you've, you're towny like me having, having grown up here. Is there any part of the enterprising activity that you're getting into now that you feel like just a little bit of it shook off the tree from Lloyd Wild. Well, well, uh, <laughs> you know, Wild Motors, uh, my dad's business, and, and I know people have varying feelings, but the, the reality <laughs> is uh, dad has been peop fixing people's cars for almost nothing for uh, like 50 years, right? Yeah. Like he was working there as a, like a preteen. His dad had him working Wow. At, a, at an almost nothing wage. So and, it's and a generational like. It is generational, outfit. man. My grandpa Jim Wild was a was a salesman there for a long time, and uh, so you know there's been a wild business in Carbonell for a really long time. And I know my dad's <laughs> reaching like the twilight of his career. Uh -huh. He's he's kind of ready to go. It's more his clubhouse now than his business. Yeah. And he just kind of makes himself feel good by helping people out, and sometimes offends people because you know uh, when you get old you're kind of uh, overly honest and an asshole uh -huh. uh, sometimes. So. And my and my, I don't think my dad would be surprised to hear me say that. But also, <laughs> he hooks people up. He for a fraction of other people's prices. So my, I love that to have my name stamped on a business that I hope to be here for many years because I want to continue that wild family legacy of being a part of this town and, yeah. and being a, a, a face that someone recognizes when they're out and about. So no, oh, that's good. I that's that is. Whether whether you are physically here or here in spirit, you're gonna be here one way or the other. Yeah, man. And put it on paper. And if it's and if I own houses here, it's really hard for my wife to say no <laughs> about me coming back. And she does it. She's totally supportive uh, of this venture because uh, you know my partner is Eric Berry. Yeah. Uh, and you know Eric fairly well. He's a He's, he's a really Mr. Barry to me as he is to many people, but Eric Barry just acceptable for we'll get we'll get used to it. Us kids will get used to it over time. <laughs> well, and you know he is he's very he's a little older as well and set in his ways. Very smart guy, but he also is uh, 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 kind of a brutally honest dude as well. Yeah. And and sometimes that honesty is maybe his opinion and not reality. But I, I love him dearly, and he really like a lot of the things that are great in my life uh, from a performance standpoint came because Eric Barry uh, saw in me something that. Um, Tom George was here before him and was a really great theater teacher. I just don't think saw. And so Eric, uh, cultured a lot of things that, you know, I, I know I would have gone on to do comedy stuff cause that's always been who I am. Yeah. Uh, cause you know, social anxiety makes you want to lighten the situation and I happen to be good at doing it that way. But also <laughs> Eric was like, let's cultivate this. And he happened to start working at the high school. He was 24 years old and I was 17. So like 
as a 40-year-old, those are basically the same age. Yeah, yeah <laughs> right? Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, man, he's, he's a – my wife, who is a very fiscally conservative individual, uh, she likes, you know, saving and protecting money. Trust it because uh, say what you will about Eric, and I'm sure people, like anybody, has a, a variety <laughs> of opinions about him, but he uh, is also really intelligent uh, when it comes to a lot of those things. So, yeah. you know, he, he was just a no-nonsense uh, – uh, there was no hesitation yeah. on making him a business. Because also, he's, he's one, become one of my closest friends, and we definitely butt heads. Yeah. And we definitely have already in our little business venture. Oh, my but, God. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, dude. There, yes, a variety of times. But – uh, he's also, uh, just one of my best friends. He, he is, he, m when I come to town, his house is my house. And, yeah. uh, you know, that level of generosity for somebody like me who is kind of gross and stinky to let me in his house to be <laughs> me kind of speaks to like what a good dude he is. So that's the truth. Yeah, that's the truth. I, you know, I don't think there's anybody that could, that could argue that one. And I mean, it just, you know, it's, it's a, you're just looking at me like if he lets that guy dude, <laughs> have I mean, free reign of his house, he's gotta be a, a good there's dude. There's a whole, there's a whole Barry legacy in this town, right? Tied directly to performance that without him in place doing what he's done, like there just wouldn't be as rich of character of some folks in town that have gone from being just high school kids under his tutelage to grown adults producing and contributing to the community. That is a true story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whew. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't think we were dive down the, sorry, man. That, I didn't no, mean to, I, I the, hope the I'm bro, not the like, bro, no, the bro, the bro love for Barry. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, it's, it's hard for me. <laughs> it's hard for me to not give him the props that I feel like he deserves. Yeah. Uh, just from, from being here and having this ability to meet with you, that kind of flows out of my, I wouldn't know you. The other one for Barry. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, things like that, those, those connections have, and that really, that speaks to the greater beauty of Carbondale that like, I live in a, I live in a very big city and uh, it's nice to have some anonymity, but it's really cool here to have like three degrees of separation from every human mm -hmm. for a dozen different reasons. And yep. you and I have that. Yeah. yeah. All across the board. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you were just talking about, you know, cousin Justin kicking down trailer doors with yes, you guys yeah. with kids and that, that whole shebang. And I just, I, I just love it. Right. You like your you're fully familiar. You're, you're another one of the folks of a generation of people, you know, two or three generations that have sat around the dinner table with Clyde and Donna in the house on hunt street that, yeah, it's just, it's really Absolutely. like, it, it just, it feels, it feels like, you know, there is, there's a certain center of power about where I get to exist. Right. And while I, you know, fight back against, uh, you know, uh, you know, memories that, that are not, uh, as, as positive as, as other folks may expect to be like, I'm still living in a physical place where I can go back and feel like I'm repairing through all of these things over the course of time and then building on to the next generation and sending them out the door of that little old house on, on hunt road that grandpa built with his bare hands in the sixties. It's just like, it all, it all has like a real nice warm and fuzzy feel, you know, on the inside of kind of what's a, a, a harder cold, like, outer ship which is life right that you just like that there's like if you can like chip through that shitty outer core there's always and maybe this is just me but i i really hold on to uh you know relationships and um feelings about certain things and yeah. so you know really grasping at those things in maybe kind of a toxic way yeah. <laughs> allows you to go past some of that stuff um because certainly 
for me either. Not everything about Carbondale or family and stuff like that is rosy, but I don't know. And, and maybe also for me, a little distance. Absence makes the heart grow fonder, perhaps, yeah. as a part as part of that. But I, I get, I totally get where you're coming from. So what, know? what were your, I mean, what were your early days out of high school like? Were, were, did, did you go from acting, you know, part, you know, participating in performance in high school to continuing to perform and and do activity once you once you left high school, or was it something that like you came back into, you know, mid twenties, early thirties, wherever you may have, have been? No, no, like my. My trajectory, once I hit high school and did speech and theater and, like, had, for Carbondale, great success. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I was not getting calls from anybody to recruit me for anything, no, right? No, but no. I uh, I had really great success uh, from a personal standpoint, like, coming out of my shell and, and being at the center of things and, and successfully completing tasks. Like, that wasn't really my MO. And, and I was a good student when I was younger, but uh, high school was a little bit uh, challenging for me in realizing that, I, I, I didn't like being a, a good student. Mm -hmm. and, and the the real honest reality is without speech and theater, I probably would have dropped out and just done rebound. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but uh, that's a great course for, for some folks. But, um, you know, that ability to come do that was great. And so when I left, I did spend some time, uh, you know, participating in activities that, um, you know, may have involved substances and, uh, and a lot of not paying my bills and just <laughs> like general, uh, you know, sh shit. I, I don't know. I don't know how to describe. Yeah. Like, like I, like I, I was not doing meth or anything, <laughs> but you were just, you were just hanging around. But I, man. Was, I was definitely fucking around and, and drinking <laughs> way too much. And there was uh, a significant amount of marijuana involved and like really going like, cause I was a really good kid all the way up until like late junior year of high school and uh -huh. then and then i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna rebel a little bit and i rebelled pretty hard but then i also uh, i i took one semester off of school and i was like i don't have a direction yeah and i missed that direction that theater and speech provided me so i went to john a logan um in the uh spring of 2001 i started there and i took a couple classes with uh someone who i think doesn't get nearly enough credit for his contributions to the area mike siegel mm -hmm. who at the time was the director of the theater department there and um mike um gave me a, a number of really great opportunities and i met a really wonderful system of people a uh, group of people that i was able to work with there doing stuff and uh so I stayed at Johnny Logan for uh, six years. <laughs> Most people that go to college for six years uh, don't walk away with an associate's degree, but uh, I was able to uh, do a lot of stuff in the theater program. Uh, I was able to do that with um, tuition waivers through doing performance stuff and, and mm -hmm. working in the theater. And, uh, you know, that created a great trade for me because I didn't walk away with a ton of student loans. And uh, for that five or six years that I was there, doing a bunch of other classes, but retaking every single semester, either Mike's acting one or acting two class. Uh, I, I got to hone my craft and also like move away from comedy and go to, I'm going to do Chekhov and I'm going to come over to SIU and try Shakespeare. And mm -hmm. I'm going to have an opportunity to work with Steve Falcone on, on work that he's written or work that he's, uh, you know, uh, found folks that are adapting things. Steve Falcone did some really amazing stuff where he would find adapted works that no one else anywhere was doing and yeah. bring down and, and, and give me opportunities. I, I really benefited from just so many amazing folks creating opportunities that I, I happened to at Johnny Logan take advantage of. So and how so, did you, how did you and Steve first connect? Was he, was he like teaching? Falcone, yeah. Uh, so 
I showed up one spring day in 2001 wearing a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> and I, and I, had a, I had a big beard. And I walked into Mike Siegel's. I was taking a directing class at that time. It wasn't even an acting class at that moment. It was a, it was a directing class. And I walked in, and uh, longtime local legend Pat Benton, you know Pat Benton? Yeah, his, yeah, his, from the, the radio. Yeah, right? uh, his daughter Sam Benton was in this class, and uh, um, Holly, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on Holly's last name, and Angie, uh, Angie Donosky, Angie Boswell were in that class, and they, and they are automatically were like, you, you look like, you look like a young Steve Falcone. You're young Steve Falcone. <laughs> and at the time, I was pissed because, like, no, I'm a young Jason Wilde. You can't compare me to anybody <laughs> else. But uh, later on, I, I got to meet Steve and work with him. I couldn't tell you what the first show I did with him was, but I, I, and actually, it may have been I took an English class with him first. Mm -hmm. And uh, I actually have an English degree now, and, and part of that is probably because a, my theater stuff didn't transfer when I moved to Utah. <laughs> and B, because Steve Falcone also fostered some writing um, skills and abilities that I don't think I really realized I had and, mm -hmm. and, and taught me how to put word on the page. And now, I'll never do so as, as gracefully as he does uh, or, or his son, Ben. Uh, but he allowed me to access some skills I didn't have. And, and we connected, too. He's, he is allowed bearded guy that enjoys his <laughs> alcohol uh, a little bit and i was also a loud bearded guy that uh, happens to enjoy a little bit of booze and and he had to put me in my place a couple times and let me know i'm not as uh, i i don't uh you know have as much clout as i think i did and that was probably good for me yeah because you know a guy from philly cracking into you going telling you to shut up <laughs> uh, <laughs> what, what is that accent like i don't way. even i like that hey, wild shut up Marks, and he's like, "All right, shit." Uh, well, Steve's—he looks like he might be raising from the middle seat in the auditorium. I should go before it, <laughs> oh. before it comes to me because he looks like a man who, uh, even in his fifties or sixties, could hurt me. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah so that, that was my Johnny Logan journey. That may have been a really long answer to your question about uh, continuing to perform, but uh, that that and that really, honestly, um, the last uh, 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 straight player musical I did uh, was at. Was Steve Falcone. It was Man Woman Cafe Table, a show he'd written, and I got to play the waiter, the kind of the through line for the piece. And I had been casting noises off at SIU at, at the time as well, and I actually uh, uh, dropped that show. I told them I was taking a different uh, part. And I don't, I, I was talking to somebody about this recently who did that show uh, that I was going to do it with, and, and I don't carry regret because working with Steve is such a, a special thing, and mm -hmm. working on an original piece of his and getting to like work with a writer to make something come to life. And so those shows were the last straight plays I did. Uh, since then, the only things I've done are stand-up and improv. Mm -hmm. I, and so, you know, uh, I look back on those times really fondly because once I started a family, doing six weeks of rehearsals isn't feasible. And, and so, uh, really, uh, Southern Illinois, you got the best of me. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then I moved on to, to doing a lot of uh, improv and, and comedy out of state. So, so did, did, you, did you pick up the... the uh, the teaching kind of kind of line in your career when you moved to Utah or was it something you were already kind of pursuing out of here and then kept going? Do you want, do you want the beautiful answer I give to uh, people interviewing me or do you want nah, the give me answer? the, give me the, give me the gross part that like, okay, so you here's, don't feel comfortable sharing. <laughs> here's the honest answer. I was getting, I, I couldn't get my, uh, none of my theater stuff would transfer. I was not doing four more years of theater at, at university of Utah. So I got an English degree. Uh, I needed a job. I worked as a shipping clerk for a little bit. I, I hated it. I got a job as a waiter. I hated it. 
Then I found on Craigslist an ad for uh, a job at the Jewish Community Center uh, helping in their after-school program. I took that job. They really liked me. I ended up working and helping run their summer camp program, one of the biggest summer camps in all of Utah. Um, and I ended up being one of the, helping manage that. I was uh, what was called a unit head and I was like three spots under the main man. And we, we ran the whole camp and it was a really phenomenal thing. And I made friends with a lot of folks who were working with the kids because they wanted to. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I, I really, I think, I think all people are great. I love, I'm, I'm like compulsively social. Yeah. I like to be, and, and I have a high social anxiety, but I also really get a lot out of interacting with people. It's fun yeah. to talk to well, it's people. It's like it's riding the wave, man. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's what this yes. is. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, you know, I, I dig kids as much as anybody else in like a totally healthy <laughs> way. <laughs> <laughs> and, Clarification. Uh, I had a friend tell me, uh, she said, uh, she, I worked with her in the program for a long time, uh, Kristen Bunk, and she said, uh, she said, hey, I, I interviewed at a school in Kearns, which is a, a tougher part of uh, the Salt Lake metro area. And she said, they're really desperate for teachers. You should call and ask about a job. I called. I didn't have a teaching degree at this point even. Mm -hmm. I just finished my bachelor's degree in English. And I called and said, hey, I hear you might have a, a need for teachers. I'm looking at the alternative route to licensure program here in Utah. Uh, I would love to uh, maybe uh, see about interviewing. And they said, we're actually conducting interviews today for a fifth grade position. Would you like to do a phone interview? And I said, yeah. And I'm calling from the office of the JCC. Uh, and so I was, I was like, Jared, can I go in your office for this phone call? He said, yeah. So I go in and I, I did a phone interview. And, um, and they said, we really like you. We want you to come in. I went in and interviewed. And they hired me on the spot and just said, get your paperwork together. It took me, because I'm a little bit of a slacker sometimes, mm -hmm. procrastinator, until October of that school year to get my paperwork together. So I worked as a substitute with my <laughs> own class for uh, two and a half months. And then I got hired in Granite School District, uh, which is one of the like top 50 largest school districts in the nation. I just fell kind of backwards into this job. I worked there for, uh, I worked in Granite for, uh, I don't know, maybe close to 10 years mm -hmm. as, a, as a fifth grade teacher and I spent a year as a principal and then I moved over uh, to, uh, to another district. I guess I worked there for 12 years because I'm, I'm 13 years a teacher now and uh, it was never something that was on my plan. It was never on the program, but it was a good job and I'm good at, this sounds really arrogant, I've, I've had really good success with relationships with families and, and test scores, which is a, you know, they're all about metrics in Utah, and I've had a good, good successes there. And um, I do enjoy working with kids and, and joking with kids. And it, it, any teacher will tell you it's performance. Yeah. Like, I am on stage all day long. Yep. And 12-year-olds laugh at dumber jokes. So <laughs> it's a very easy, uh, it's a, in, that, in that sense, it's an easy job. So that was, the, that was the road I took to teaching. It was never part of the plan. And really, I don't think I want it to be the rest of my life, but it's been really such a wonderful, rewarding, valuable part of my life yeah. to this point. Well, and I, I love that you touched on the performative aspect of pedagogy, right? It's something I've talked about a little bit on the podcast and some other episodes. And it's, it is a component that, some people just miss in this and like, just don't quite understand that if you really want to convey knowledge to folks, that it is about putting on the show, right? A really good conversation. Just a, just a handful of podcasts ago was John Davey, uh, uh, school of architecture, Bucky dome, all that fun yeah. stuff. Um, you know, the, he, he talked about, you know, dressing up for all sorts of roles throughout history and coming in and teaching those particular types of architectures dressed as a, you know, as a person from ancient That's Rome cool. or, you know, somebody that would have built a castle and, uh, you know, feudal, uh, uh, Britain or 
whatever I don't know, Britain in the UK, whatever, whatever you'd call it at that, uh, at that point in time. And, uh, yeah, it just, it's, it's a draw, uh, you know, on top of that, I imagine that just having actual personal experiences that you could contextualize to the relationship with students was probably helpful in achieving outcomes on the other side of the education. Yeah. Well, you know, yes. And I, I grew up on, uh, what end? I'm so terrible at directions. So that's up, north. I grew up on the south. north north end of North Carrico Street, okay. uh, and it was really kind of a poor area. And uh, we, my family, you know, my mom and I were talking about this recently. There were several years where our tax, you know, that we were filing for ten thousand dollars a year. I grew up below the poverty level, and so when I moved to Kearns, that was a big part of it. It's just that relatable. Like, it doesn't matter whether you're in Carbondale or you're in, uh, you know, a, a city of several million people. Um, being poor is being poor and, yeah. and, and relating, relating on those personal levels. And it's not just being poor. You know what I mean? Like yeah. any, any level you can find to connect with somebody, but understanding that and, and really accessing from those points, you're absolutely right. Is, is like the, the, well, it's relationships, right? Yep. And that, that's how you build them is through common experience. Yep. That's it. And this great, is great thoughts, man. It, it's really, it's really kind of, again, the core of this project, right? What is, what is that common thread throughout all of our lives tied to this place, whether you're new here and have been here a couple months, whether you are generational, have been here forever through lineage, whether you are from here, have left here, come back here, you know, the typical, the Carbondale shuffle, yeah. uh, you know, maybe it's the Carbondale hokey pokey. I don't know. You put your left foot in, you put your left foot out as I actuate my right foot. Dude, instead. it happens for sure. <laughs> or you just put your left foot in and then you get stuck. Yeah. But you're like, I can't, <laughs> I can't get yeah. it. <laughs> I'm going to get a master's degree and then work at a restaurant forever because I love the town. Yeah. And even though there's no jobs, I'll stay because I love it. Yep. Yep. It's a, I mean, it's a very real thing. It's a very real thing. I, uh, you know, it, and it's one of the toughest parts about, you know, attracting folks and, and keeping folks. And that leads into, uh, kind of another conversation. Cause you're, you're the right kind of person to discuss this, this creator Dale idea. I don't know about that, but I'm happy to discuss. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, you're going to, you're going to get it anyway. So this, so this idea that I've got, in my in my mind is getting a bunch of creators just in Carbondale just creating right videos photos you know spoken word podcast whatever yeah. live performances yada 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 hundred people in place in and around Carbondale doing their own thing car guys do car stuff uh, you know theater folks do theater stuff I love it uh, musicians do musicians sports people do sports stuff everybody does their own vertical. And then they all, by virtue of living in the same place, interact. Have the horizontal as well. Exactly. That's re really cool, man. I love it. Um, and then you have folks just build off of each other's audiences. And then it becomes this one, you know, people are all about reality TV. Well, give them the reality of Carbondale through the lens of everybody living and creating in space here. Okay, so here's the cool thing, dude. Uh, this is what I'm doing right now with Eric is uh, I had this idea, and I didn't think he'd like it, but he's way on board, <laughs> is that... One of the things I love about Carbondale experiences my whole life is everybody is a character. Yes. Like, I, I mean, I think everywhere that's a little bit true, but in Carbondale, it's a the people's collective. True. It really is. It really is. And so, my thing was like, I'm gonna, I'm, not, I'm gonna film all of the stuff we're doing on these houses and all of these people that we're talking to. Mm -hmm. And so it's been. We've got GoPros that may or may not even be functional in corners of rooms. <laughs> I've got, I've got iPhones on time lapse and iPhones taking footage and and then talking to like. We've got a guy, I don't even know Billy's last name, but he's a—he's uh, like this 45-year-old uh, wonderkind who, who uh, 
you know, he does electrical and he does HVAC. He knows everything. He's just never been in the right place to capitalize. And, yeah. And then on top of that, he's very funny. Yeah. Like the first day he showed up, I, I moved, I came to town. He's working on something at Eric's house. And he walked in the door and said, mm, boy, you look soft and pretty. And I was like, what is, <laughs> I don't know you, man. <laughs> I don't know you and I don't know that I like you. But then, it, then you know, he, he and I have worked together and he, and, and that was all from a, not even like this, um, you know, sophomoric place of, you know, I'm making fun of uh, homosexuality or anything like that. It was just like a, his level of camaraderie is, is being weird like that with yeah. me. And it's like Billy is a, is a character. And yeah. uh, Fiddle Rick of, uh, what is it, Maxwell Silver yeah, Hammer or whatever. Uh, you know, he's, I've been working with him a lot. And he's so wonderfully knowledgeable. But also, like, you've got a guy coming to do electrical in these beautiful flowing scarves and a fedora and stuff. And you're like, what? <laughs> What is happening right now? What planet am I on? <laughs> so we've been filming all this stuff, and, and it is kind of like this. Let's put it on YouTube and show Carbonale is this place where, um, like, it's like it's like Portland, but in the Midwest. Yeah. I, I don't know if that makes sense at all. Well, here's the here's deal, right? Every So it, this happens at all different levels, right? You you had expressed it about the, well, I'm not the, the young Steve Falcone. I'm the young Jason Wilde, right? It's the same concept in place here in Carbondale, we try and find these one-off comparisons, a Portland, Oregon and Austin, Texas, a, yeah, you know, okay. a, a Salt Lake city or a Provo or whatever. Um, any of these places, wherever the hell Curtis is at in Idaho. Yeah. Take your pick. The reality is we're the only Carbondale. There's Accurate. just no other way to describe there, there it. There really isn't. Yeah. There really is not. Uh, we went to trace ombres on Monday night. And uh, no, so, uh, with Barry. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Really. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and it was somebody's birthday and it became this wild time. And, and, uh, and, you know, is it because you were there? People, yeah. <laughs> people are being safe and having a good time, but also like interacting. You know what yeah. I mean? Like there were, there, it wasn't, it wasn't pods of people. It was, we we're all in the same space. Yeah. There's a synergy to this town. I feel like that, like, and maybe it's, maybe I'm just really romanticizing the college parties I went to. I, I don't think, <laughs> but, I don't think you are though. Right. And, and here's, and here's why. Because there is there is a intergenerational component to it. There is a multiracial component to it. Absolutely. There is a multi-theist component to it. There is a uh, you know a a vice component to it. There is anything that underpins what makes humans human is convergently. Yeah, just just. What is Carbonell's new slogan? All always open, buddy. So stupid, but <laughs> <laughs> that logo of like all the things crossing. That's what you're talking about, and that is accurate. Yeah, I hate I hate it's complimenting that phrased. at all. But that part, yes, <laughs> so fucking dumb. Part, sorry. <laughs> they paid a hundred thousand dollars for some fucking stupid bullshit. Well, hold on, Put hold that on. on. Let me let me break it down real quick. Please do. They paid five thousand dollars for the logo. They paid $66,000 for the overall branding. Pro, well, the, the overall program that was the assessment, the survey, the produced document on the other end, all of those actual components, the, the actionable functions of it. And they had another like, you know, 30 ish thousand dollars in physical deliverables, everything from, uh, you know, digital branding components to, uh, you know, the, the bike, bike rack racks. things. Oh <laughs> yeah. The, the non-functional. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Okay, I do appreciate you breaking that down because I work with like the world's best graphic designer in Salt Lake City. I'm sure there's yeah. great ones here too. Uh, actually, Courtney Smith, old old uh, seven ten bookstore graphic designer, attitude go. designs. But uh, a great graphic designer, and I was like, dude, 
they just paid a hundred grand for this, and he uh, had a good laugh. But so it's good to know that there's more to it. Yeah. And I don't mean to tear down because I, doing those things is hard. Yeah. I actually work with a municipal council in Salt Lake City that nobody's ever happy. And it's easy for me to laugh from afar. So city folk watching this who really love your Xbox logo, uh, please uh, know that I appreciate your efforts. <laughs> well, what's what's nice is things things are always always malleable. I I tried. I mean, I I I, I went up in front of council. 2017 ish i've got the video i've got the supercut private on my youtube channel right now <laughs> it, it exists where I, where I just went in and i was like please don't screw this up that's what i did i stood at that dais and i said please 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 and you know i've just kind of taken certain components in into my own hands from my own perspective, right? What's really nice about the WTF Carbondale project is that it doesn't have the same constraints that any sort of institutional activity no, has because to it's have you. on it. Yeah. I just flip a switch and that's that. Um, you know, whereas something that like right now, uh, the the next the next institutional activity that's out there is called Southern Illinois Now, right? It's it's a collection of larger institutions throughout a a, a you know 14, 17 county region, give or take. It's a lot of I red tape. It, yeah, uh, it, and you know you go right to their Facebook page, and the first thing that it is is eight paragraphs of you know legalese that dictate how the community. Because people functions. are going to read that, and that's a, and that's a really difficult way to actually build an, an earnest community that people can go into and then validate by thinking that the interactions they see occurring are real organic interactions among the people of a place. And that's what really, you know, for, for all of the, for all the positives and all of the negatives that are, uh, you know, components to the, the WTF Carbondale um, project that ultimately it is a honest look at all types of people all you know all all different kinds of folks that exist in carbondale and very few places in this town both physical and digital can you find that An intersection a cross section get all of these people in the same room together well look i'm going to tell you this uh and i'll be totally frank on a person level, you and I don't really know each other. At no, all. not at all. Not at all. I don't even. I don't. I don't even know that we're friends on Facebook. Honestly, we are friends on Facebook. We are. Okay. We've only. We've only actually been in the. We've only actually met maybe three or four times in person. They've all been for like improv stuff yeah, having events. to do with Barry's class, which is why like this was a really good fit for an exploratory conversation. Yeah. Well, and and, and I'll I'll tell you, my experience watching you digitally, and I watched your mayoral campaign. Yeah. Uh, and, and supported it um, oh, thanks, um, in in the sense that I supported your drive and desire to improve upon this town. Yeah. I've watched you moderate that WTF Carbondale Facebook page uh, in, a, in a firm and fair way. Yeah. I've watched you create opportunities for interaction uh, in, in a good way. And, and I think I, I don't know your personal politics very well, although I can assume them. Yeah. Uh, I don't know a <laughs> lot of your assumable. personal. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know a lot of your personal motivations, but but I do know that um, I think you've been very forthright in a lot yeah. of the things you think uh, from my experience. And Carbondale uh, needs people who love Carbondale That's and it. don't just have aspirations to do things politically. Mm -hmm. Carbondale needs someone like you who is driven because every time I see you, you're working on something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, and, and that's, you know, I, I think that's a, 
is a good point to make is just you've you've got to what makes a resilient community is a community with folks that aren't just looking out for themselves but they're looking out for uh you know the the uh you know collection of folks that exist in a physical place as a whole uh because you know it it it, as cliche as it sounds, right? It's a rising tide lifts all ships Dude, that, kind of deal. Their cliches are a cliche for a reason. <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you, too, circle all the way back to my recent business endeavors. The folks who are not helping raise the tide are uh, folks that we could categorize as slumlords in the community. Yeah. People not taking care of Carbondale's residents, making money off their backs and not reinvesting into their properties. Yeah. It's disgusting. Yeah. Well, and it's it has become more apparent and more prevalent than it has ever been in uh, you know just the the past fourteen months of the pandemic, right? The the capacity for folks to let their properties continue to degrade while uh, you know being under a limited watchful eye. Uh, now, what while people say, are living in them, do what? While people are living, yeah, while in people them. are living in them, uh, which is which is the the most painful thought of all of this right that like people are just kind of you know whether, whether they are themselves trapped in it whether they just are mentally trapped in it right whether they are they are financially trapped in a in a situation in a particular uh you know housing space uh and just how that affects all of the other components of their lives there was a there was a there was a person who uh, I interacted with a, a couple weeks ago through the the group, and and I will say John Lanzini episode I think like thirty five of the WTF Carbondale podcast is the new community development director. He's kind of over. He was building neighborhood services. Now he's over the whole shebang. There are no more earnest people on the face of this planet than John Lanzini, and that man will get out there and care about people in place where. They need him to do so. He, he, you know, just this one example of this woman uh, that uh, he, he interacted with um, getting code enforcement into their property, uh, getting uh, the, the appropriate paperwork in place to, to address the shortcomings of the property and then giving them the ability to leverage uh, the work of the city to ultimately get themselves out of uh, a a Bad less favorable housing situation, yeah. which is how it's supposed to work, right? That's awesome. That's I, awesome. I I see, I concern, I report. That report leads to action. That action allows me the ability to make the changes in my life that need to be made to better stabilize my life as a whole. Um, and that's you know that's that's the kind of deliverable service that a city is supposed to provide Absolutely. to. You know, just a just an everyday resident, right? There, are, we all, we always talk about well, how does Carbondale treat its businesses, or what's the relationship like between the university and the city? But we miss that important component of how is the city just working with the person who is most vulnerable, and starting from there and working our way up, as opposed to starting up here with a champagne bottle and trying to. Municipal you know, positions are supposed to be positions of service. Yeah. Right. And so you have to ask yourself, who are you serving? Yeah. And if it isn't the folks that are part of that municipality, 
that's an issue. Yeah. And I want to clarify, too, before I, I love hearing about that. Because you're John. not I'm part of that me. municipality, right now. Yeah, no, it's true. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I want to clarify, too. I don't think all landlords are bad, and I no. don't think all tenants are always in the right. No. But if you look at some of the discussions on the WTF Carbondale page, and I recognize that's a, a sliver, a snapshot of that, there are a lot of people who are in tough situations like the ones yeah. you're talking about. And those people can't all be in the wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. and meanwhile, uh, I'm sorry, uh, there's like this vampiric relationship with the landlords who can, who can continue to do some of the landlords, who can continue to do negative things because they're going to have an SIU population that's unfamiliar with their names yeah. and come through a community and, and kind of suck the lifeblood out without putting it back in. Yep. When really those tenants are clients. Mm-hmm. They're customers. They deserve to be heard because it shouldn't have to go to a level where you call the manager. You yeah. know what I mean? The city yeah. manager to come in and handle things. It should, it should just be taken care of. This is, you know, it, you know, we're, we're talking about anywhere from 4000 to, you know, ten to $15,000 in a given year. A major chunk of most people's income being transacted directly to a... For one residence. And if you are yeah. a person who owns a lot, multiply that. Yeah. And imagine the money that's going this way without trickling back down to the maintenance of properties. And, it, yep. and it's a, I can already tell you, I'm hemorrhaging money. Like this is, this is, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not, it's like not I, what you thought it was going to be. I'm not lighting cigars with hundred dollar bills, but the reason that I'm spending so much money is we're considering what the client's experience is. Yeah. It's not what's the cheapest faucet. It's what's the faucet that we're not going to have to come back and fix. And the one that they can, that they can count on. That's always going to make sure they have water. Yeah. What water heater is going to continue to heat their water so that when they have to bathe their children or take a shower and go to work, they have hot water. Mm-hmm. And and I and I think I think unfortunately there's an economy of scale where where you just can't you get to a level and you can no longer consider the individual experience. Yeah. And and at that point I I mean, you know, uh, I don't want to like uh, out myself as a socialist because I don't think I necessarily uh, mm-hmm. describe myself uh, that way. But also, you just shouldn't have more than you can manage in a way that uh, uh, properly supports the community. Yeah. Um, well, in, in a good, I, I can't remember if this was an NPR article. I don't remember if it was a Strong Towns piece. I don't remember where what, what I read in in recent days, but it was talking about the the difference between a familial familiar relationship between a tenant and a property owner and the relationship between a tenant and a large enterprise that doesn't have a personal relationship. It's, not a, it's no longer a human. Yeah. It's just, it is just a mechanism for cash flow. And as soon as that any part of that cash flow component is threatened, then, you know, there, there's just all the less humanity provided to the actual person. It's a place. bottom line at that point. It's yeah. no longer a personal issue. It's what's the bottom line. The bottom line is money. And if X gets me the most amount of money, if I can get away with not giving back a security deposit when I don't know whether or not, you know, I, I living here for so long and interacting with so many people, every single person I've talked to about this endeavor uh, has talked to me about a, a nightmare landlord story where they have had their money taken from them. Yeah. And, and it wasn't every landlord. Because most people in Carbondale, if you don't own a home, you're going to have several landlords. But if you have four landlords and one of them has stolen money from you, uh, and that's uh, like with a regularity, with regularity repeatable number, that's 25%, man. That's yeah. already too much. And I think it's a greater number than that at this point based on the conversations I've had with people like yourself. Yeah. 
Yep. Not to, we, not to dig too deep into this, but it, it no, just, no, I mean, it's I'm a, a little passionate about it because it's the heart of this town is where the people live. Mm -hmm. And if the people hate where they live or they're miserable or their homes are falling apart, then the town is falling apart and we can't let that happen. Yep. Well, and, and the and the issues that it leads to more more broadly. Right. It, the we, we talk about uh, the actuality versus the perception of violent crime in Carbondale. Right. And while while the perception and the realities may not match. The, the fact is that there, there are the lived realities of people catching bullets in a door, people hearing bullets whiz by them, people losing friends and family to gun violence yes. uh, on a regularity. And it's not as if it's not all over this country, right? It's, it's not like it is just simply focused on Carbondale. But there is a, there is a solution outside of enforcement by police that helps to solve for these issues and that is the quality of living conditions that people are able to uh, just have well let's let's circle back to education yep and talk about the number one um factor that you can link high test scores to mm -hmm. is is property value yeah and so um if we take test scores as even a keyhole measure of of a successful education then um, all those folks that are in challenging home situations and in poor communities are automatically in those in there and there's not a mechanism to protect them from being in those challenging situations mm -hmm. that that not a mechanism to prevent property values from declining then automatically we're in a system that's too corrupt to protect these people from uh, experiencing um, substandard education, substandard support in the community, mm -hmm. uh, over over enforcement of, you know, I, I, this is a, this is a very deep conversation. It's, 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 it's big, but but it all it all does link back to this thing of like, if people are secure in their homes, right? It's like as Maslow's hierarchy mm -hmm. of needs, right? Mm -hmm. If people mm -hmm. have their shelter, if that need is taken care of, then that's a huge deal. And when it's not taken care of people don't have a basic need met, then people can't be healthy internally. And when they're not healthy internally, they're going to not do healthy things externally. Yeah. Yeah. People in those communities are sometimes the folks perpetrating crimes. Yeah. We still can't blame those people for being, uh, essentially for manifesting yeah. what's been put on their plate. A victim of circumstance. It's a very, it's a very real thing, right? Like we, we all live and operate within a system that system has more influence on us than our own individual actions within the system. That's a, that's a very real thing, right? We can, we can all talk about the individual responsibility that we all have, but the reality is like if we use a, a benchmark like pollution, it doesn't matter how many plastic bottles we as individuals work to recycle. The reality is that a large institution that has systemic influence produces those plastic bottles for us to make waste of yeah right and, and, and there's a person right well you should all take personal responsibility for that but you're right taking personal responsibility shows that i have a commitment to an issue i believe in but it's not going to affect change like it will if we attack the source of the problem yeah and i'm not <laughs> advocating for eating the rich although i'm not against it either but i also <laughs> think that uh you know that's something we should all consider beyond just oh that person did that thing they are bad. Yeah. Maybe, but there's other stuff to look at. So how old are your kids now? My kids are 10 and seven. What do they think of Carbondale? 
Well, that's where Grandma and Papa live. <laughs> <laughs> Grandma buys himself, and Papa takes him fishing. Uh, <laughs> I work really hard when my family's here to make them value it in a way that makes them want to come back. And, and part of this, too, is like, even though my kids live in Salt Lake City, I'm creating a, a possible legacy for them at some point. Yeah. And part of that legacy is not just there's a business here that can make you money. It's uh, they're going to love Quattro's Pizza. And they're going to have some Mary Lou's biscuits and gravy. And they're going to go, Dad, this isn't, maybe this isn't as great as the, as the food we had at Harbaugh's. But d- did you look at the pictures on the wall? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, 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 my, my goal is to make them, to force them <laughs> to love yeah. this town. And uh, I think they do. They love visits home. They hate sweating so much. My daughter <laughs> cannot handle humidity. She, dude, she cannot handle it. My son. Is Utah dry? Is Utah, Utah it, we're in a desert, man. Okay. And like we hike a lot and our kids aren't really whiny about that. We've made them into hikers, but when they come here and try and hike, dude, we came into town and we're driving down from St. Louis and we saw the Brown sign for Cahokia mounds. And I, I don't know, maybe a field trip in elementary school, but I can't remember being at Cahokia mounds ever. So I was like, let's go. And it's a Thursday afternoon and it's about uh, 13 days ago. So we're in the middle of like, you guys are in the middle of finally it's dried out uh, in terms of precipitation. But now that water's just sitting in the air, the sun's beating down. I take my kids on this giant walk around the Cahokia Mounds and my daughter, 10 year old trooper, is red faced and ready to pass out. So the humidity is not their favorite, uh-huh. but there's a lot they love here. And, and the, the wildlife, uh, I, I hate the desert, man. I see what you did there again, man. Ah, so many so many good wild jokes. Branding, branding. <laughs> did you did you have you have you had that throughout the course of your life? Like, man. you know, wild doesn't seem like one of those last names people would pick on you with, but would always use in some sort of way to enhance the conversation. Is that always sister, been the case? Christy Wild, a uh, uh, wonderful nurse in the area, hates hates the name Wild. For the same reason that I am, uh, I, it's a conversation starter for me. She doesn't like conversations. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but for me, it is, it's always been if I get carded for anything or pay with a credit card, they go, oh, wild, huh? Are you a wild guy? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> it's dumb and it's cheesy, but it's a, it's a conversation starter. And I, yeah. as I said, I'm compulsively social, so I enjoy even, even when it's like uh, poor dad joke level of that kind of shenanigans. So, yeah, I've heard it my whole life, man. Yeah, I love it. It's a common enough last name that everywhere you go, somebody will say, do exactly what you did earlier and go like, are you, are you, uh, are you related to Lenny? And I'm like, no, no, I'm not. I'd like to meet him, but no, not at all. Well, and by the way, waiting for you, I was like, oh, I'm sitting down for an interview with Columbo. My in-laws would be so excited that I'm meeting such a famous detective. So yeah. I'm sure you've dealt Just with some of that thing. yourself. Just yeah. one more thing. Yeah, yeah. Gr- grew up go. with it. I mean, it's it's the life I live having to uh, having to always correct from Columbo with an O or from Columbo with a U to Columbo with all O's. Yes. So that is yeah. that is that is my trick. I will I will seldom have my last name spelled correctly, but that's okay because the iconic Columbo in the United States is that of Columbo with a U. But now because of this conversation, I'll remember and I'll correct people for you because that's I right. care. <laughs> and if you're looking for a home, remember I care. <laughs> I so I'm really interested in now the the video aspect of this because here's here's the deal, right? Like I said, this this Creator Dale concept, right? And, and this is this is. I hate the phrase bootstrapping, right? Because pulling yourselves up, pulling yourself up by the bootstraps is literally impossible, right? Right. That's, like that's the joke of it, right? right pull right, yourself right. up by the bootstraps. Well, turns out that's not how gravity works. Um, 
is is to lead a development of new industry in that this town and that is media production digital media television radio what have you sure if you look at the town now as it sits you've got umpteen number of production spaces from people's homes and basements to what you're in the midst of here angie wyatt one of the former tv anchors for tv3 has taken her television show the spiel and put it into the old water treatment plant over off Grandham Wall. That's, that's awesome. Um, you know, we've got an $87 million renovation coming down the pipeline to the communications building at SIU. Right I there. Are, the building the other day. It's not going to walk around. I love that building. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad to hear it's being renovated. It's, it's, it's really going to get the works, right? And we're, we're in a position, much like Georgia was 10 or 15 years ago, we've got the state of Illinois being somewhere in the neighborhood of like the fifth most viable media production state in the country due to access to resources and, you know, tax incentives and all that fun stuff. Uh, you know, we've got a direct line to the state tourism bureau through Carbondale tourism, because that is the tourism bureau is what handles, uh, media production right. in the state of Illinois. That's kind of what one of their institutional functions is, is liaison with, uh, that industry. Uh, we, we've we've got giant empty mall spaces that could be turned into production studios. We've got a talent mill at SIU to actually produce the talent. The outdoors fill. here are amazing. Do what? The outdoors yes. create the most awesome location filming spaces imaginable. Yep. Within all all of the like the merger of like however many geographical zones exist in Southern Illinois, bluffs, prairie, swamplands, yes. rolling yes. hills, yes. All, all that all that shebang. It's it's there. It's accessible. You've got major metropolitan areas chicago st louis uh uh nashville uh things i leave out too often indianapolis is just as close as chicago is yeah and so is chattanooga give or take i mean it's maybe an extra half an hour 45 minutes than chicago but Chattanooga's there too and the idea that production costs in those locations are exponentially more expensive than production costs in this space right so while the concern right now would be, well, how do you provide work for people permanently so that you can get, you know, two, two partners within a relationship to find work here and to settle down and raise a family and not feel like they're pulled one direction or the other. When you've got transient workforces coming through where it's production crews, you know, a couple months at a time in and out cycling through to just utilize the resources here, bringing dollars from outside the economy into the economy, plugging it in and then, just building off of that, but it's got to start somewhere with no resource. And that's kind of why the creator Dale idea is, is out there that if we can put ourselves on the map as this place, yes. then we can use it as a stepping stone to bigger industry. And that's where I come into my invite. Now, knowing what you and Barry are doing, I would love to have you guys as part of this project as well. Um, and have you be kind of our, are this old house vertical. Yeah. I, I, I love it. I, I love, uh, I would love to enter into that conversation. I, uh-huh. I, you know, what some of the, the first screen acting I did was, uh, for SIU's, uh, studio. You remember what the old SIU show was called where they did, uh, was it studio a productions or something like that, where they, they would do sketch comedy. And so alt news, 2642. 
No, no, it was it was something they did anyway for for the local PBS affiliate. Uh, okay. But they did wonderful things there, and um, always the film program had opportunities for folks to get out. I love that. I love the idea that there's a drive toward that because I really do believe there's so much magic in this town yeah. to be had just in terms of locations alone, yep. not to mention the talent and resources. Yep. I, I think that's just brilliant, man. Yep. I, I love it. Cool. Well, I'm, I'm glad to have, to have wrangled one more person into yeah. this whole mix, man. And Barry will have to carry the weight while he's physically here, but I'm sure if I can bribe him with a few bottles of golden elixir we'll we'll get yeah, that's always a possibility <laughs> we'll yes absolutely <laughs> um i don't know man what am i what am i what am i missing on our chat i know we've we've had a good run about talking a lot about property and a little bit about jason um but i don't know i just i just like i wonder if i'm missing anything that you feel like we gotta we gotta talk about in this round there's always gonna be we can always have a round two i will just i'll say for a moment um and and this is what you touched on yourself the people make Carbondale, right? And uh, even as folks that I've loved have, have uh, moved along or, or what have you, they're, they're always just this core of awesome people. And uh, the cool part about people getting old enough that they maybe age out of being at the bars every night is they find alternate things like Chad and Jamie at the practice pad yeah. and uh, folks like that that are doing really amazing things locally. And um, one of the things I try to try to do when i come back is uh support folks locally yeah and i and i just uh i think that's a really cool part of what you're doing here is uh, it sounds like you highlight folks locally doing amazing things and i just want to compliment you no. on doing your part to <laughs> make sure that well but really yeah. you know you talk about this idea of how do you support people with regular jobs and you know a lot of salt lake salt lake has a great film uh industry but it's all uh, it's like a gig economy right yeah, like yeah when a production comes through you hop on if you can and, and yep. you ride that out and um most of carbonell all the folks i know that that stick around for a long enough time really make their dollar as part of a gig economy and mm -hmm. so i just think it's really cool that idea that um not that we couldn't support people long term here with those yeah. things but really the idea that if you create those opportunities then people that are subsiding on this gig economy that really is Carbondale and Southern Illinois would mm -hmm. just have additional gigs. Well, and, and it and it's so it it fits into the transient lifestyle that has always been a part of Carbondale existence, right? That's the other component to it. You've got a mix of the let's let's say if we could take it from twenty eight percent permanent residency to thirty eight percent permanent residency, that would change. Is that the number for Carbondale? Twenty eight percent permanent residency. I I, I I don't know if that's actually the number. I, Come I, on, I, mayoral candidate, you got to know this. I, I know, I know. Shame on me, right? I you know I I don't. After having, I, I, I I'm sorry for cutting you off. No. I, I get the point though. No, no, ab absolutely no. I, the uh, I, I think I think we are I think we are in like the thirties percent for like permanent residency in Carbondale versus, oh. and, and that's in that's owner occupied housing versus uh rental rental property so okay. that may not be right the exact in terms of people that live here permanently but in terms of what housing exists sure. that is a more permanent uh owner occupied uh uh setup rather than than you know the more transient component of you know i can i can just leave this house yeah <laughs> this, yeah yeah absolutely. This, this apartment however um where am i going with this use your brain nathan cycle back to it um gig economy is yeah, gig economy that? People in and out. the The fact that people come to and fro, 
and carbon, right? All of, all of these things kind of play into that, right? You don't, we don't, we can meet industry and people where they are as opposed to having to have some pie in the sky idea about where well, we're going to attract the latest and, and greatest Silicon Valley type investment in the, in the Silicon Prairie, right? And, and do this massive transformation of what this place is and whatever else. Like, no, you just got to know what this place already is, right? We're already full of characters. We're already gigging for our, for our meals, right? We're already back and forth as is. Uh, we, you know, we've just got all these components that, that say, you know, the entertainment and media industry, as it expands, grows and becomes more accessible, literally just from a cell phone, yeah, right. That people make millions of dollars a year based off of this one thing that it becomes, it becomes, uh, something where, you know, you've just built an additional structure into what was already there. Right. Because exactly. you've identified yes. not because not because you've had to force something new onto it and make a complete change. We're just plugging into what's already there. Yeah. Um, well, and you know what? People in Carbonell work gig, are part of this gig economy not a lot sometimes out of necessity, but a lot of times because they don't want to go to a 9 to 5 working for somebody else every yeah. day. People here are fiercely and wildly independent. Yeah. Uh, I did yeah. again. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and you know, providing opportunities for folks to still maintain that independence, which is what makes Carbondale such a resilient, wonderful place, yeah. is what's going to continue to maintain its greatness. Yeah, that is it right there. Just enough time for me to edit out that one little clip. Hit that hour mark for episode 72 of the WTF Carbondale podcast with Jason Wild, where we indeed wild out this podcast <laughs> branding <laughs> have a good one folks whatever that one maybe thank you